So tonight, um, well, let me introduce myself. My name is Jeff. I'm, I'm the millennial pastor. Actually, someone called me the young Jeff, which I was like, wow, that's cool. Like, I'm the young Jeff. The other ones are, I won't say the other ones, but uh, the young Jeff. Uh, I get a pastor, the, the young adults here, and I'm pretty excited what God's doing in these young adults, you know, in these millennials. You know, I thought people thought they were hopeless, but God always loves a challenge. When he sees something that is hopeless, he's like, you know, I can do that. I can do something there. So he loves a challenge. But tonight, um, I'm excited to talk to you about this topic. And I love it when God um, confirms it because he used Brother John up here to talk about faith, right? About faith. You know, our faith is not like this china plate that we take out once every blue moon. But it's something that's like a paper plate. We use it every day. We use it every day. And I want to talk about the nature of having full faith that leads to full promise. Because God, if you haven't realized this by now, but God is always trying to grow our faith. It's a never-ending journey. Your whole life. I haven't talked to mature believers who've been walking with Christ for 30 years. He's still trying to grow their faith. In fact, I think Ed calls God. He's, he's the God of 1159 because he always shows up the last minute because he wants to stretch. He wants to get every ounce of faith out of us for us to grow. And unfortunately, none of us love being in a situation where we actually need faith, where we actually need a miracle, right? It's a lot easier reading about people in the Bible where they were barren or they are hopeless and, and there was, their enemies were surrounding them and, and to read about how God delivered them. But we never like it when it's us. It's terrible. It's a terrible feeling. But I think it's those times that really reveal what's inside of us. It's those times when we have those um, kind of where the rubber meets the road really reveals what we're made of. It really reveals that. And so I want to explore that full faith that leads to, that leads to full promise. Also, I want to explore this idea of one of the names of God. I've been studying some of the names of God, and, it, and it's really impacted me because God's names are inseparable from who he is and what he does. Right? Like, there's some people that say, well, God doesn't heal anymore. Well, one of God's name is Jehovah Rapha, means God is healing. He is healing. So when we say that he doesn't heal anymore, you're actually taking the name of God and dishonoring it, saying, like, you're taking a title away from God. Because that is his name. That's one of his names. And so it's, I look at that, I'm like, wow, like, this is amazing because we know that God doesn't change. He's not like a person. He's not like us that change. If, if, he, if, he was, if he did something yesterday, he'll do it today, and he'll do it again tomorrow. And I believe that. We've got to stand on that. That's the only constant that we have in this life. But the name that I wanted to bring up is uh, a name you probably heard before. I believe Randy shared this. Jehovah Jireh. I don't know if I'm saying it right. I'm not a Hebrew. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide, or the Lord is provision, or the Lord will see and provide. It is one of his names that he wants to offer provision. And not just financial provision, but everything that we need spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally. He wants to provide. And we kind of see a New Testament version of this when Jesus uh, calls himself, I am the bread of life. 
right? I'm the bread of life. I'm actually what sustains you. My life is what sustains you. We're not going to see that tonight, but we'll see it maybe next week or the week after. But this, this name of God, Jehovah Jireh, comes from Genesis. It comes from Abraham, who's the father of faith. When God asked him to offer up Isaac, his son, his one and only son, as a burnt offering. And as, you know, Abraham being obedient to that, as they were walking, preparing, uh, Isaac actually turns to him and is like, Father, where's, where's the lamb? Where's the, where's the burnt offering? And Abraham responded, he says, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering to my son. And later, you, you guys might all know the story, but later, um, as he's about to take the knife to his son, the angel appears and, and reveals that the Lord has provided a ram. And that's when Abraham calls and says, on, on this mountaintop, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. He's the Lord who provides even the lamb that we need for sacrifices. You also see this theme through Exodus. God provided manna for the Israelites in the wilderness. It was supernatural. Uh, he sustained them through their, the wilderness. In Leviticus, we actually see this too. It was under the priestly duties that bread was to be sent out before the Lord every Sabbath day of the perpetual covenant obligation on part of the Israelites. There was 12 loaves set in two piles. And you'll see that number 12 appear again because Jesus is trying to reveal himself to the people around him and even to his disciples, and yet they kind of don't get it. They don't really understand, even though they have the stories, even though that it's near Passover, and they should be thinking about the Exodus, they should be thinking about the manna, all this stuff, Moses. They, they don't really make this connection. And that's why I want to talk about full faith, because Jesus was still working with him. He was still trying to get these Men who oftentimes screwed up all the time to get them to actually embody what it was to have full faith. And that's what I love about God is that even Abraham, who we call the father of faith, if you look at his life, he made many mistakes. But because God is a covenant keeper, he made Abraham into that man. He made him into a friend of God. He made him into a man of faith. Even though multiple times, you know, you see that he has those lapses, right? He has those mistakes. And that encourages me because, as John was saying, we all stumble many times. You know, the flesh is weak, our spirit is willing, but God still is like, I, I'm not, I'm not um, relating to you based on you. I'm relating to you based on me and my faithfulness and my covenant towards you. I'm going to make you into sons and daughters, which is, it's, it's amazing. I still can't believe that. And so tonight, we're going to see the, a famous story, Jesus feeding of the 5,000. He reveals himself as Jehovah Jireh, as the one who provides, he keeps his covenant. But also someone that wants to challenge our faith. You guys know that God wants to challenge our faith? And sometimes, he has to offend us to do that. You guys get that? I know today we don't live in a, a society where people are afraid of being offended. I, I heard of a story of a dermatologist walking and he saw someone at, like, the mall, and they had, like, something on their face that, that resembled skin cancer, right? This is his job. He, he sees that, oh, wow, like, this person probably has this malignant skin cancer. I should probably tell him. So he goes up to this person, and he tells him, like, hey, like, I'm a doctor, and I, I want to share something with you. And, you know, I really think that that skin thing going on in your face, is, that could be uh, potentially 
dangerous. That could be skin cancer. And the person got so offended. They're like, who, how dare you? Who are you to tell me, like, you know, I'm shopping right now, and, like, you just ruined my whole day. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, have we come to a place where we can't even tell each other the truth? Or we can't even, like, be honest with someone without them being, about them being offended? And even in the church, too, like, are we afraid of teaching people that there is a hell? That there is consequences to sin? Or have we kind of moved away from that? I've kind of come to the point where, you know what, God? Like, you can offend me. If that saves me from hell, like, offend me. Tell me the truth. Because I don't want to just be like, oh, well, you hurt my feelings and blah, blah, blah. And that's happened. God has oftentimes had to tell me things I did not want to hear. But I also realize, like, where else can I go? He's, he's the one. You know, eternal life is knowing Jesus Christ. If this is keeping me from him, I need to get rid of this. I need to deal with this. I need to look at that seriously. And so, amen, my little rant right there. But we'll get into the story. I promise you. I promise you I won't lead you down too many bunny trails. I like doing that. But I'll stick to the story this time. I have notes and verses. I have it all laid out. Um, <clears throat> so I want to read you guys this story. I'm just going to read all of it, and I'm going to go verse by verse. It's 15 verses, and so um, you can follow along. I'm using the Holman Christian Standard Bible. It says, uh, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee. It's actually smaller than what you think it is. It's a tiny lake. You think it's like this big thing. It's small. And a huge crowd was following him because he saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? He asked this to test them, so he wants to test them. For he knew himself what he was going to do. Philip answers, well, 200 denarii where the bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little bit. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and, and two fish, but what are they for so many? Then Jesus said, Well, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving them thanks, he distributed to them, and who were also seated, so also with all the fish as well. He distributed those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected to them and filled 12 baskets, is that number again, with the pieces from the five barley loaves, so that they were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for your desire, Lord, to increase our faith, to get us to this place of full faith, to get us to a place where we believe who you are, who you say you are, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's this amazing story. They're, they're kind of in the wilderness. Not necessarily in the wilderness. They're just not in a place where there's supposed to be a lot of people. If you read uh, another gospel, I forget which one it is, but 
it seemed like they were kind of taking a respite from their ministry. Because you could imagine, if you had thousands of people who were wanting to be around you, who had needs, it gets very exhausting, even for Jesus. Because you remember, though he was fully God, he was fully human, he had the limitations that we did. He got tired. He needed to sleep. He needed to eat. But yet they, they go to this place, and, and because they see, um, the, it actually says they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick, um, there was this large crowd. It was a huge, huge crowd. Verse 4 actually says that Passover was near. So it was upon everyone's mind the, the count of the exodus, right? The, if you think Passover, if you were a Jew back in the day and you thought Passover, you're like lamb, bitter herbs, uh, unleavened bread, Moses, right? The, the plagues upon Egypt, the whole story. They would, they would do that as a remembrance, and so, what Jesus does here is not just by accident. He's trying to show them something. He's trying to reveal that, hey, I'm, I am the same God. The Father and I are one. And yet, what we see, what stands out in verse um, <clears throat> 5 and 6 is where Jesus asks Philip, he says, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? And he says this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. So Jesus knew that he was going to perform this miracle, but he wanted to, he wanted to see what his disciples, what, what they thought that he should do. Right? Kind of when he was asking Peter, who do, you, who do people say, or who do people uh, say that I am? And he just wanted to hear what Peter had to say. He wants to see where he was at. So Jesus is challenging Philip's faith. He's looking for an opportunity to grow his faith. He, he desires that we would come into this full faith because unbelief will hinder full faith because unbelief fails to recognize who God really is. It won't recognize who he is. I like to illustrate this. I, I explain to people what faith is like, and I always explain that. Have you ever seen a, a river that has flooded its banks? Right? Maybe, maybe you've lived in a place where the river would flood its banks, and, or like if you lived near the Mississippi, or maybe if you lived in Egypt, the Nile, or something. But a river that floods its banks is unstoppable. There's nothing you can do to contain it. It is a powerful, powerful force. Just the idea that even if you go to the Grand Canyon, that that was caused by water. That that huge canyon was, was the cause of this, probably this flash flood and, and the erosion through water. Well, that's amazing because nothing can stop that. It's powerful. But instead, as humans, we... We might get scared of that. We, we build levees. We build dams. We even try to constrict or restrict that because we don't like that, right? We want to be the ones in control. That's scary to us. What would it be like? But that's what faith looks like, right? It's allowing God to have unhindered access to our hearts, to our lives, Right for us to to allow him to do whatever he wants to do in our life. That means I mean might mean giving up things. It might mean um, 
maybe even doing something that you, ever, you may, may not even thought that you would do, like being a missionary in a, another country. It's giving him full access, allowing him to do what he would want to do in your life instead of restriction, instead of restricting him. And unfortunately, we do that sometimes. We do that. Well, in verse 7, Philip answers, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for them to have a little bit. 200 denarii is about eight months of, of salary. A denarii is about a day's wage. And he's saying, you know, even with thousands of dollars, we, we could only probably feed them like goldfish, like those little crackers, right? You guys like those goldfish? It's a good snack, but it's not, it's not a good meal. So that's, that's the level of faith. He's kind of had this goldfish, right? He's like, we'll, we'll feed him some goldfish. Andrew, on the other hand, a little bit different. He actually points out and finds that, hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But still, what are they for so many? I want to break this down for you. I want to focus on kind of their answers. I'm going to call Philip the realist. See, he's the realist because he's the one that he surveys the situation. He looks and sees, you know, there's not a McDonald's here. There's no market. I can't go grocery shopping. The crowd's huge, right? The, the Bible says 5,000, but that's just the men. So you can assume probably 10,000 of women and, and children. So he sees the fact that, well, we're, in this, we're not really in a good location. There's, there's th- you know, thousands of people. We have no money. Even if we had thousands of dollars, we could only give him a snack. And so he, he's, he's the realist of this. He's, he's just being realistic, as we would say. Andrew, on the other hand, he's, he's a little bit more pragmatic, right? He's the one that's like, all right, like, you know, Jesus is asking how we can do this. Let's, let's get to work. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to survey. I'm going to take inventory. I'm going to see what I can come up with. And as he searches through the crowd, he just finds a boy who has a few loaves of bread and do fish, but his response is not really different than Philip. But what are they for so many? I want you guys to understand that his disciples have been with Jesus for two years. So they've seen miracles. They've seen what Jesus could do. This is like two years every day, right? Not just like two years of going to church, like two years of living life with Jesus, These are men who were raised, their education was the Old Testament scriptures. They knew the stories. They've heard about God and and the wonders of God. Even even during this Passover time, they're thinking about like manna, thinking about Moses. And yet, they're still at this place of unbelief or very little faith. And this happens because we allow circumstances to be bigger than who God is. That's boiling down that's what unbelief is we allow we look at our circumstances we we see the situation and we allow ourselves to get hopeless and it's really because we have misplaced our faith and i say misplaced faith because we oftentimes put more faith in our ability or our what resources we have available or what's around us or what's going on rather than who god is because his name is provision is jehovah jireh he will provide. That is an absolute thing about God. You can almost see them panicking, right? I wonder, you know, if 10,000 people showed up here, it's like, what are we going to do? Like, you know, we don't have enough chairs and 
how are they going to fit in the building? And we just like, as humans, right, we just kind of like, we're thinking about it just from like a rational or a pragmatic or just like a realistic thing. But oftentimes what God is trying to do is get us to walk in full faith and, and not look at those limitations as a block for him to act. I want to kind of have us do some table talk right now and open up. And here's the question I have is, have you ever been in a hopeless situation? And what were some of the blocks you experienced that prevented you from having full faith? I'll give you guys a few minutes. Go ahead. So I want to I share with you guys, um, I think we've all been in this place where, like, I've seen God provide, right? Like, it was, like, supernatural, absolutely supernatural, like there was no way that he could have done it. You know, I remember being uh, a student and I needed money, I had like no money for books and I started getting like, and, and I was worried, I'm like, okay, I can pay for the tuition, but the books, a couple hundreds of dollars and, and I remembered that, it was the craziest thing, but then I get like a check in the mail of a couple hundred dollars, it was like a scholarship that I had received or something and that had actually allowed me to pay for it. It was just, it was just out of the blues. It was out of nowhere. But here, here's what happens is, and I'll just be honest, but, you know, like, it could be a couple months later or a year later when we get in that tight situation again. It's like we forget. It's like, God, where are you? Like, what's going on? Like, have you forgotten me? And, you know, we just start complaining. We start whining. And it's like we forgot who, what, who God is, what his name is. He's Jehovah Jireh. We just forget that. And so as, a, as something that I'm starting to do, and I've kind of learned this from a, past, a pastor up north, is that he, he carries with himself, it's called a victory sandwich. What a victory sandwich is, is um, it's the word of God. It's testimony, the things that God has done in your life. Make sure you write those down. And even the prophetic words that he's received over his life or the promises of God. And he carries around with him everywhere a binder to remind himself. Because any moment, he, he said he, he battled with chronic depression. He's like, you know, in order for me to slay this giant, I just needed to, like, carry this with me everywhere because I have to remind myself because it seems like it is not just a week-by-week -week battle, but a minute-by-minute -minute battle sometimes. And so... Carry with yourself a victory sandwich. It will allow you to strengthen yourself in the Lord like David did in his time of need. Also, Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man who lies or a son of man who changes his mind. He, does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? I think why we allow our faith to be blocked or from having full faith is because we attribute qualities of humans of a human person to who God is. He's not like us at all. He's not someone that changes his mind. His, his nature towards us, is, it doesn't shift. His love for us doesn't change. And yet we don't understand that because there's nothing in our existence that, that can corroborate with that. We see the relationships that we have in life that some come, they wane, and they go, and even our emotions, everything, the, the political system, everything around us is always changing, technology. And yet God, 
he's the only constant we can have. In verse 10, despite their little faith, Jesus is gracious. Because he wants to demonstrate what it looks like, the lifestyle of having full faith in the Father's nature and his power. Verse 10, he says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. The, the men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves and gave, and giving thanks, he distributed to them those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. So let's recap. Philip, the realist, he says, we can only give them goldfish or a little snack. Andrew, the, the more pragmatic of the two, he says, well, I found a boy's lunch. Maybe we can divvy that up, but it's not going to be enough. And here's Jesus. He gives thanks in front of everyone, and everyone gets as much as they wanted. Isn't that amazing? That's what full faith can do. It's the conviction that God doesn't want us just to have enough. He doesn't want us just to have a little snack or to have this meager boy's lunch. He wants to have abundance. He wants to unlock abundance in her life. In verse 12 through 13, it says, When they were full, he told his disciples, Collected leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. I mentioned earlier that Leviticus passage, right? That number 12, it would, it would seem like Jesus is removing, you know, every illusion or all the stops. And he's trying to make it so obvious to them because that showbread was really to reveal that God was keeping his covenant was with Israel. Not that God needs to be fed because in other religions you would bring food to the gods so that they could be fed. It wasn't that Yahweh needed to be fed. It was because he was the one that was sustaining them. And they still didn't get it. They had 12 baskets left over for them as a testimony. His disciples who knew him two years. They still didn't know. And even in Mark 8, 16, this is another story but of Jesus multiplying food. This is actually sad because after the miracle that they just witnessed, this is what, what they do. It says they were discussing among themselves that they didn't have any bread. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing that you do not have any bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Is your heart hardened? Is your heart hardened? I can almost envision Jesus just saying, like, why do I have to keep proving myself to you over and over and over again? You guys, why are you guys even worrying about these things? Don't you know that your Father in heaven knows your needs and is going to provide everything for you? And yet you're still reasoning or discussing among yourselves that you do not have bread? This is like after they see a miracle, but it's so, um, it reveals the condition of their heart. It's like they did not connect this miracle, the works of God, with the name of God. And that's a danger. They just, they just look at it and they're like, well, he provided this one time. Maybe he won't, you know, again or blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, like, you do not understand. He is Jehovah Jireh. I've even seen this displayed in a, in a family in, in Mexico. There's some missionaries that moved from Canada, and they adopted numerous, numerous children, orphans, 
And I always remember this, but when you go into the rooms, you see like hordes of food that they like hide. They see like hordes of food. And it's because growing up as an, as, um, in, in these families, they wouldn't have food or they wouldn't, or even the pantries would be locked in some of their homes. But in this home, the pantry was not locked. They had plenty of food. And yet they still had this mindset that they needed to like sequester or, or squirrel away food because they, they just had it in their mind that this fear that maybe one day the food's going to run out or maybe one day mom and dad will get mad and they'll, they'll lock the pantry. And it's really this orphan mindset. It's this spiritual orphan mindset because I wonder if like that is like us. We wonder if God has forgotten us. We wonder if the provision will run out, if he won't come through for us. And we keep letting the, the thoughts and speculations, the circumstances, our, our limited resources from undermining our faith. I just That kind of reveals that maybe we're, we were, spiritual, we're spiritual orphans and we're still thinking in the sense of poverty mindset. We, we think that God has locked the pantry we think that God has run out, and that's so far from the truth. You even see this with the, the children of Israel who are slaves, generations of slaves. Their dad was a slave, their grandpa, slaves, everyone slaves. God delivers them out of Egypt. And he takes them to the promised land. You ever wonder why? Or he takes them to the wilderness. You ever wonder why he takes them to the wilderness? He could have just, you know, flew them there. He could have done something else. And not even the fastest way. Why, would, why would, does he take them to the wilderness to get to the promised land? Well, the wilderness is supposed to do two things. It's supposed to teach you who God is. Because you're in this hostile wilderness. There's nothing there. The scenery is not even good. And he shows them his, the Father's heart. He provides for them. He, he protects them. They see water come from rocks. They see manna that appears. Quail. Everything is provided for them. He's trying to teach them who God is. Who, I, who he is. The, the Father's heart. And yet they test them. It says... They test them ten times. Right? It's like they just refused to believe that God was good, that, that he was trustworthy. They just kept on testing him. So that's one of the things that God is trying to do. He, he, he wants you to understand who he is to you. The second thing is that he's trying to um, create in them full faith. Because without full faith, you will not have full promise. And what we see is when they go into the promised land, they see the giants, and they let fear, they let fear allow, a fear that leads to unbelief actually steal the promise from them. So he's, he's trying to train them. It's like boot camp. It's like discipleship 101. But still, they, they haven't learned how to strengthen themselves in the Lord. They haven't learned how to have full faith, even though God demonstrates it over and over and over again. And my question is, is that do you feel like you're in the same situation in life over and over and over again? Is that you today? Maybe it's like, 
you, you know, I, there's like that um, myth or legend, right? This, this character that pushes his boulder up a hill. And every time he gets near the top, the boulder just falls backwards. And it's like he's doomed to just keep rolling this thing up the hill. And he keeps trying over and over again, and, and nothing really changes. But I want us to open up and to talk about this, is that do you feel like the same situations keep happening to you over and over again? And what do you think God is trying to teach you? Let's spend a few minutes and, and talk about that. So if that's you, I want to kind of leave you with a solution because Jesus doesn't want to just, he doesn't point out unbelief just to shame somebody. He actually wants to connect unbelief to belief. He always does that. Even if a person doesn't even believe that. You see in his story, there was one guy who was like, Jesus, help my unbelief. Because he's like, if, if you can heal my child. And then Christ is like, if. And, the, and so he always wants to connect the two. But let's close with verse 14 and 15. It says, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this really is a prophet to come in the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so they were thinking of a, a Moses, because Moses wrote about a prophet who had come. And yet they, they failed to see the spiritual implications of what he has done. He was just, oh, let him, let him be a king because he'll give us bread. He'll, he'll supply our needs, and which God wants to do. But he's more than that. He's the bread of life. But I just want to, um, we have a few minutes. I just want to share this because the last trial that David had in his life before he was king was probably the hardest thing he went through. You know, it was when he was with his, the, the Canaanites and, and he was going to go to war with them, but they refused for him to fight with them. And it was actually a good thing because he would have had a fight against Saul and Jonathan, in which Saul was trying to kill, kill him. And he had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he, he would never do it because he was like, Saul's the Lord's anointed. And so it, was, it ended up being a blessing. But once he gets home to Ziklag, um, well, they've been raided. Their wives are gone. Their, fam their children are gone. Their homes are burnt down. Their animals are gone. Everything is gone. And in this moment... Even David's men were despaired. His most loyal men who, who before you read about their exploits of them, like breaking through a line just to bring David water, right? They broke through and fought just to bring him water from a well. Even they wanted to stone him to death. And yet, you read in the Bible, and what the Bible says is says David felt sorry for himself. That's a joke. He didn't actually do that. <laughs> it didn't say David pitied himself. It didn't say David felt sorry for himself. It didn't say David complained. It, it didn't say David got angry with God and waved his fist at him and says, how can you do this to me? How can you betray me? It said David strengthened himself in the Lord. Like, can you imagine being in that situation? Your, wife is, your wife's gone, your kids are gone, you don't know what they're doing, you don't know what's happened, and your men want to kill you. And because David knew who his God was, he could strengthen himself. He actually had the faith, full faith, 
to come before God not as one complaining, not as one who felt sorry for himself, not as one who was pitied or angry. He came as a man who had full faith because he asked. You see what he asked? He's like, Lord, like, can I, you know, will I overtake my enemies? And God's like, yes. That's what he does. And, and so I want I to share this with you because that was the last trial that he endured before he was anointed king. And it had been a decade. And so I'm wondering if maybe if you're in the same situation over and over again, maybe it's because you need to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Maybe you need that victory sandwich so that when the temptation comes or, or, the, or the lies come, that you have that with you to fight. Because I'm looking at that, and I'm like, man, like maybe finally David was, his heart was right. Like he, God saw that, okay, now he can be king. Now he can be king because he's finally learned to strengthen himself, even when his men are against him, even when the circumstances are against him, even when everything is hopeless, he's learned to stand upon my name because he's learned to, to call upon and know who I am because I am his shepherd, I am his shield, I am his righteousness. I am the one who defends and protects him, and I'll never let him down. And so pray, pray. if you need to um, go home, go in your prayer closet and just ask, and like, Lord, like, what do I need to do to get out of this? How can I strengthen myself? What are those areas that I need to do that? And so let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you, Lord, that um, you know us so well. You know each and every one of us, Lord. You know... The things that, uh, that tempt us, you know, the things that uh, we're weak in. Lord, you know how we stumble. But yet, God, you're always, trying to, you're always trying to teach us. You're always trying to encourage us so that we can have full faith, full faith in you. And so I pray tonight that whatever adjustment needs to be made in someone's life, that you'd begin to do that. They would allow you to do that. They would allow you to show them areas where they, they might not be in full faith, maybe even areas of unbelief, Lord. And I pray that you do that for all of us because we want the full promise. And we want that same confidence, Lord, to be like David who strengthened himself even in the most difficult trial that he's ever faced. And so we, we commit this night to you and commit our lives to you as living sacrifices, holding the pleasing to you. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.